You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now, your host, Tish. Hey there, listeners. Tish from ShiningSelf.com here. I'm super excited to have another special guest with me today. She's a creative entrepreneur, writer, and mama of two. Having founded her first business in 2005, she's been around for a while. Today, you'll find her at businessandlearning.com. Welcome, Tammy Munson. Thanks, Tish. I'm excited to have you here with me. I know. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm so excited. So a little background about Tammy and I. Tammy and I have known each other. Oh my gosh, Tammy, when do you think we first met? Was it like 2006, 2007? I think it was 2006 when we first met when we um, were doing the Work at Home Expo and businessandlearning.com, the business and learning chats, and of course the infamous business and learning after hours. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Those were the days, but we actually have never met in person, but we've just become really good friends and like, I don't know, it's just really cool. I know I'm totally off topic already, but hey, it's my podcast. I can be, right? (laughs) Right. Of course you can. You know, one of the things I used to laugh about, like back in the beginning of two, I think 2006 was when I very first came online and Mm -hmm. like my offline friends and family were all like, because I would be talking about like you and all these other, you know, like online friends that I had and they're like, I don't understand how you can actually like make friends with online people. (laughs) And I just, I think now about, oh my gosh, I have some amazing freaking friendships still from people that I met way back in the beginning. So I don't know. And that was just a total rabbit hole. So anyways, listeners, if you want the show notes from today's episode, be sure to head on over to shiningself.com forward slash T as in Tammy, M as in Munson. So we are going to talk about losing a loved one, not just any loved one, but a significant other. Now I know death is hard and it doesn't matter if it's a significant other, a parent, a grandmother, but I really wanted to have Tammy on here to talk about losing a significant other, because I do think that the grieving process is a little different when it's, you know, a significant other. So Tammy, will you take us back to first, you know, give my listeners a little background um, about that love that you lost. When did you meet them? How old were you guys? Sure. Yeah. Um, Well, Jeffrey and I met in October of 1990. Um, We were both juniors in high school. And, uh, we, he, I wasn't dating anybody at the time. We met at a party at a friend's party. Um, he was dating actually a friend of mine and, uh, they, as teenagers will do, they, there was a party, then there was a fight, uh, between him and his current girlfriend and she left and we were just kind of sitting there talking and it wasn't anything, you know, it was all very innocent. It wasn't anything, you know, like, Ooh, I'm after her man or whatever. Um, But so we, he, they of course broke up. And then about six weeks later, he got my phone number from a mutual friend and called and said, Hey, um, would you like to join me and my friends? We're going to this haunted house thing. And 
I'm not a haunted house person. Anybody that truly knows me really well, I don't like to be scared. I'm, I, I'm just not a big fan of Halloween. But I was like, yeah, I'll go. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, we, we dated for a little while, um, all throughout high school. And then shortly thereafter, after high school, he proposed and um, we were engaged. And so in um, August of 1992, um, we were at a, um, we had stopped at an ATM after a party. Um, we were living together, we were working on, you know, wedding planning and that whole thing. And we were held up at, uh, at this drive up ATM. And um, unfortunately, they shot Jeffrey and they um they took off and uh, ultimately jeffrey jeffrey passed away that night um from his gunshot wounds and my world my world flipped upside down six ways (laughs) um it was you know i was 19 he was 18 um it was um one of those things that you go okay, I see it on TV, I see it in the movies, but I never ever expected it to happen to myself or anybody else that I knew Um, because those things just don't happen in real life. (laughs) That's TV or Hollywood or whatever, but it did. And I was thrust into a murder investigation so they could find the young men that did this. Um, After, throughout the course of the investigation, we found out that I was very lucky to be alive, that I was very lucky to even be walking around breathing um, because that was not their plan. Um, somehow, some way, God intervened in some sort of manner or something that um, they got scared and they took off and they didn't follow through with their plan. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that, yeah, yeah. So then it was... We went through this process of, you know, and it's not as quick as you see on like SVU or <laughs> or, or any of the crime shows. Um, it, it was a year long process um, just to find the guys and the investigation and the court and having to testify and being a witness and being hounded by media and all these all these things that you see on TV. Um, it's it's not it doesn't it doesn't get wrapped up in an hour. Um, it takes months and years. And so that's kind of what I went through in the summer of 1992. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Tammy. I can't even like imagine. Now, as you're going through, well, first of all, you know, thank God that they didn't follow through and that you, you know, were spared your life. So here you are, you've lost, you know, the love of your life at that time. You're Mm -hmm. in the Thors of planning a wedding you know, happy as can be, I can, I imagine that in my head, you know, and Mm -hmm. this happens. So not only are you young, just losing the, you know, love of your life, you're thrown into this murder investigation. How did you start to, um, I don't know how I want to, well, I'm just going to come out and say, and I hope it doesn't sound rude. How (laughs) did you ever have moments of thinking, why am I alive? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the days following, like, I guess would be like the week following, 
I have very little memory of. And I think it was because I was in shock. I, I went through the whole, all the stages of grief with, with that. Um, and there was a lot of, no, this, no, this is not happening to me. Um, and then, you know, then I was, then once I finally accepted it, um, over the course of a couple of days, I just was like, they should have shot me. They, they should have ended my, I don't deserve to be here. I don't want to be here. He's Jeffrey's not here. I don't want to be here either. And because I grew up in a very strict Catholic family, I was like, well, I I can't kill myself. My my grandmother wouldn't just, you know, be just so upset with me. Um, So I started doing very unproductive behavior. I started drinking a lot. I was hanging out in places I shouldn't have been doing very destructive behavior. And um, finally, I... I reached a point where I was like, okay, either I have to end my life or I have to try and put it back together. And I had some very amazing friends that, and family members that said, if you keep on the road that you're going, you're going to die. And we don't want you to do that. And it wasn't like an intervention or anything like that. It was just, here, here's the, the hard fact you will be going down this road and we don't want to see you go down this road. You know, you're here for a reason. There's a reason why your life was spared. And so that was the beginning of me trying to understand why this happened and the beginning of therapy, quite honestly. So I'm thinking, you know, in my head, I think back to when I was 18 and 19 at that time, I didn't even know. I mean, yeah, I knew what death was, but I didn't really understand. I hadn't had any like major losses in my life at that time. So I didn't really understand, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was that age, what the grieving process was. So prior to this happening, had you dealt with any other death around you? Like Um, the only person, yeah, the only person that had died before Jeffrey was my great-grandmother when I was in eighth grade. So that was probably, what, 14. Um, but I was so far removed from the process. I, you know, it was, you know, she was, she was old. She was in her 90s. And, you know, it was just a very expected thing. She had been sick. And so it was just a very, uh, you know, we just went through the process and, and, you know, as best you could. Um, and, you know, actually, my, my grandfather had died um, the year before, actually, sorry. Um, and, but, but even that, I was still kind of removed because it was one of those things that you, you know, he was sick, he was old, it was, it, it, it was, it was understandable. You, you could, you could go through the emotions of it and go, okay, yeah, I'm going to miss my grandfather and my, gra- my and my great-grandmother, but they were, they were older and they were sick and they're in a better place. So it made sense. Jeffrey did not make sense at all. Yeah. And that's exactly why I was asking that question because, you know, we do understand that our elderly, you know, relatives are going to pass away because that's just the cycle of life and that's normal. 
So sure, it sucks when we lose them, but it's easier to be like, okay, well, I understand why it's happening. You know, they've lived, you know, their life. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's quote unquote, okay. Whereas, you know, something like Jeffrey, it was not understandable because Mm -mm. he was so young and it wasn't like a natural cause. So I, the roundabout reason I was asking all that is because I think it's normal that you turn to drinking and some unproductive, you know, activities and things to deal with it because, you know, at that age, it's not making sense why this had happened. Right. Exactly. You know, for, I, I just couldn't wrap my head and I don't, yeah, maybe didn't have the maturity at the time to truly wrap my head around what had happened. I mean, my, my, my life got turned upside down and didn't know which way was up. Um, so, you know, to, to try, you know, like, I think if, if, if it happened at the age I am now, I'd be better equipped to deal with some of these things. Um, but back at 19, you know, I was not, I just wasn't equipped because that's not the version of my life that I was planning for planning to get married and have babies with this man. And now he was gone. Now what do I do? You know? Exactly. The other question that had popped into my head when you were talking was, and I know you mentioned that you had some friends and family that was really supportive, but I think back to, you know, in my own experience at like 18 and 19, if, um, you know, I had broke up with a boyfriend and I know that breaking up with the boyfriend and your fiance being murdered are two completely different things. Right. Yeah. But I think back to, you know, like friends and family around me, they're like, Oh, there's more fish in the sea. Just basically, Mm -hmm. you know, get over Mm it. Right. You and God, I hope nobody was like, God, get over it. But did anybody kind of, you know, ever be like, well, you know, you're young, there's more fish in the sea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There, there was, there was people in my life that were like, oh, you're only 19. Um, You know, it's sad what happened to him. But they're, you know, yeah, they're the more, more fish in the sea kind of thing. You need to, you need to put that behind you and move forward. And, you know, he would want you to do that. And so there was a lot of that. And then there was a lot of, um, they call it survivor guilt. Um, and military people go through it, you know, and I did, I mean, I felt really guilty that I was still here, um, that I shouldn't have been, that I shouldn't be here. Um, so I, you know, there was some of that and, um, finally, I, I just reached a point where I'm like, I have no idea how to deal with this. Obviously, drinking and, and this destructive behavior is not serving me any at all. Um, so then it was like, okay, how do I, how do I move on from this? Because I'm only 19. <laughs> my, entire, my entire life is in front of me. And that's when we found a a wonderful, wonderful therapist that kind of helped me be able to see the forest through the trees at first and then start to move forward and put some of the the bad stuff, um, some of the, you know, and and I did have PTSD for a while because of all of it. Um, And to put some of that stuff behind me that I, so, you know, I could, 
go on with my life a little bit. So take us through, you know, you're going through all this counseling, therapy, whatever you want to call it, and you're starting to deal with the emotions and what had happened to Jeffrey. Do you remember like a moment in time where just one day you were like, this hurts a little less than it did all the days prior? Yeah, it it was probably about a year later when um, the investigation was done, the court stuff was done, the the guys who did who chose to do this were sentenced and they were in jail, and I felt a little safer. Um, it was it was probably about a year, um, maybe a year and a half later, that I finally was like, okay, it's and and been have gone through therapy the the whole year and a half. Um, that I finally felt like, okay, I can go back out in society and I can go back to school. Um, I can go and do friends, do things with friends at night again. Um, it has, it took me years to be able to go to an ATM again. Um, but, but that was a completely different situation, but, um, the just being able to say, okay, I feel okay. It's always kind of there, even 30 something years later in certain situations when I'm back home in New Orleans in, a, in that area where it occurred, there are certain things I just can't do even 36, I, th- I think it's about 36 years now that it, that it happened. There's just certain things I just can't do down there. There are certain places I just can't go. So it, it always kind of stays with you, but you, you're able to, to deal with it in a way that is, that allows you to move on with your life and, um, and embrace other romantic relationships and do things that are similar to what happened that night. Um, or, or, what led up to what happened that night and you know you you can just find a way to move on but part of it's all is always with you right and i think that's normal too so now you're you know at the point where you're starting to be able to go out and do things at night with friends things like that take Mm -hmm. me and my listeners to the moment because in my head i'm imagining you know if i were in those shoes and it was my fiance that had been murdered I think that I would have went through this phase where I would have been like, I'm never dating again. You know, nobody's ever going to replace him. Not that another person can replace, you know, somebody anyways, but did you ever have any feelings like that? Like, you know, there's nobody else out there for me. I don't ever want to date again. I, yeah, I, yeah, I did. Um, And, and, you know, a lot of times there was like, nobody's going to measure up to him because I put him on such a pedestal. And, you know, he was my guardian angel and that whole kind of thing. Um, and I didn't, and even, and, and I did date and I'm like, nope, nope, not going to happen. Nope, not going to happen. Let's, you know, and, and went through several relationships um, like that until I met Dan. Um, and there was just so much bad stuff after Jeffrey and all the relationships that I did have. 
Um, but but there was there was a time that I was just like, nope, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to date. I'm never going to have, you know, if I have kids, it'll have to be like, you know, in vitro or something because I'm just, <laughs> I'm just not going to do this because I don't want to put myself in a position where my world can be taken away again. Absolutely. I mean, just yeah. to think about having to open your heart and be vulnerable again, that had to have been really scary. So I want to talk about Dan now. So <laughs> take us to how did you and Dan meet? So I'll let you tell the story, but I'm just going to kind of spoil things and be like, Dan is her husband. So yes. take it yes. away. How did you guys meet? So Dan Dan and I actually met online. <laughs> I uh, knew, I knew. Yes, yes. I know the story. <laughs> yeah. So Dan and I met online in, um, oh, 2000. I should know this because he's going to listen to this podcast. 2007. Yes, 2007. And um, we met in back that you know this is like early internet days like early 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 internet days there was no dating websites at the time and so there we, we were both on america online and they had chat rooms text chat rooms and i saw one that said yes yeah, serious old school and i saw one that said fell in love on aol and i said to my roommate oh my gosh we have to go in here this is going to be just hilarious like really you could fall in love on america online whatever um well you know but <laughs> so i go in there and there and you know all these people are just chatting and it's just flying cuz it's all text based and i see this this dude named named Guy, and he and his girlfriend are being all lovey-dovey, and I'm like, okay, seriously. Well, Guy ended up being Dan's identical twin brother, <laughs> and um, so I was teasing Guy, like, seriously, come on, you know, and so they, so then it became this back-and-forth thing, and then Dan and I started talking privately, and then one thing led to another, and then, you know, now it's been 20 almost 22 years later, 23 years later. Um, we have been married for 21 years and we have two children who are almost grown. <laughs> See, that's just proof right there. This is totally irrelevant and not what we're talking about, but just proof that you really can find true love online. <laughs> you can, and you can find love on AOL. I proved myself wrong. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. So how did, because I'm assuming at some point, um, and I could be totally wrong here, but I'm assuming, and in my head, I'm thinking, so here you are in this relationship with Dan. Did mm -hmm. any of the stuff from Jeffrey's murder and everything that you went through that, did that at any point affect your relationship with Dan? It did. In uh, once Dan and I were living in the same because he was in Minnesota at the time and I was in in New Orleans, and so a couple months into our relationship, I moved to Minnesota. Yeah, the little southern girl went to Minnesota, um, and so we were living together at the time, and um, and there were just things that would happen. Me being out at night, things would remind me about things. And, you know, every, 
like every time the anniversary of Jeffrey's death would come around, I'd get really sad and I would feel like I couldn't talk about it in front of him or to him. Um, and I have to say, Dan has always been, always, always been so supportive of anything when it came to Jeffrey or my emotions or feelings about what I was feeling about, um, about maybe that day or, or the anniversary of his birthday or something to that effect. Um, he never made it a big deal. He never made it like, oh, you know, that guy's from years ago. Why are you still talking about him? Um, so he was always very understanding, even though I may have gone a little off the rails in the first couple of years, you know, like, don't talk to me, don't touch me, don't look at me, no nothing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but, it, but it was all on my side that I had to deal with. And, and there, were, there were walls that were put up, um, that I put up, um, because it was getting to the point where it was very similar in the fact that Dan and I were talking about marriage and we were, you know, we were talking about having children and, and all these amazing things. And then it was all became, it all became very familiar. And so then for me personally, I was dealing with, you know, like, Oh my gosh, is this going to happen again? And what do I need to do? And how do I need to handle it? And so there were, there were times that I'm sure I was very difficult to live with. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, you know me, Tisha. <laughs> but I'm just saying in general, what yeah, yeah, can't yeah, be, you know, hard to live. Yeah, with. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so it was it was just something that we had to just go through. Um, and and like I said, he was very understanding and very loving and very caring, and made sure that I was taken care of and and that anything that I needed, he gave. So it was just a wonderful relationship that we, and, and that he understood because I don't know many men that would, would be able to understand that and being that connected to someone who was no longer around one, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, how phenomenal and amazing that he had the patience and knew that, you know, you needed to go through and experience the things that you were feeling, but he mm -hmm. was still willing to be supportive and stick by your side through all that. I mean, that says a lot about the type of person that he is right there. It does. Yeah. Um, so now, did you have the conversation with Dan about Jeffrey before you guys moved in together? Or did you move in together and then you're having these moments when things are, you know, I'm bad on the death day and he's like, Oh my God, what the hell is going on? Yeah, no, I, I think I told him beforehand and I would, as, as August 2nd approached, um, especially in the first few years of our, of our relationship and, and, it, and once we got married, um, I would remind him, Hey, August is rolling around. I, I, we know what it's, you know, it's going to be at the first week of August. It's going to suck. Um, and that conversation, the, the first conversation we had about it, I told him what happened and, and my feelings and my thoughts and, and everything. And, you know, and I'm like, you know, please don't judge me for any of this. Um, 
and he didn't he never did and he was always like well you know whatever you need babe um and so it he made it easy for me to do that um but i but i could see you know but like in other relationships when i did tell other people about you know and some people knew of the people that i had dated in new orleans they they either knew they had heard about it or or um they had found out through other ways and um they didn't respond well to it <laughs> you know um but dan did he responded really well and allowed me to go through what i had to go through and deal with what i had to deal with and never ever it, like even up until just a couple of years ago we were in new orleans we were in a very specific part of town um, not near where it happened but it was a very similar area and I felt very afraid and very anxious and I said you need to get me out of here and he said okay we got the car and we left and if there was no there was no drama about it it was you know and he's like are you okay and I'm like well I am now and then that's it that was you know there was no other discussion that needed to be had uh, and he didn't make me feel silly or 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 any of those the, the normal things. So yeah. So e even now, it, he's still very understanding about it and all that kind of stuff. That's just amazing and phenomenal. Like I said, um, so you were just mentioning about you know it recently you were in an area close to where it happened and you needed to get out of there. Mm -hmm. Are there any other? I mean because I can only imagine that something like that is going to have lingering effects forever. Are there other, do you still suffer from any of the PTSD or anything like that? Um, not really. Um, and it only seems to happen, most of the time it's in New Orleans, um, because it's just so fresh in my mind um, there. Um, because I, everything reminds me of something you know. And you're literally um, going back to the, I mean, not necessarily the very spot that it happened, but right. that is the state that it happened. So that's understandable. Right, right. Yeah. And, um, you know, so occasionally there's times like if I'm out somewhere at night and it's a, not a great area or, um, it's just something I get a very uneasy feeling about, I'll get a little anxious and nervous and a lot of, you know, and as, as long as I'm with Dan, I'm generally okay because I know I'm safe. I, you know, I mean, he, he was in the military for six years, so <laughs> he has skills. Um, but, um, you know, so I, I, I know I'm always, I know as long as he's right next to me, I'm always safe, but sometimes it gets a little to the point where I'm like, I need to go and I need to go right now. Um, but it, like, even like if I'm with, you know, if I'm out like in the city, um, with girlfriends, um, I get a little nervous. Like even I was in Nashville, um, back in November and we were walking to, through downtown Nashville and there was a lot of people and it was dark and it was at night and I kind of made sure that I had a girlfriend on each side of me. Um, just cause I could start that anxious feeling that you get and uh, like, okay, we need to get to the restaurant now. Wherever we're going, we need to get there now. Um, and most of them didn't really know why. I said, I just don't like, like, I'm, I'm not a big fan of being downtown at night by 
you know, with just a bunch of girls. Um, so some of those things happen, but it's, it's not very often that, that they happen. Tammy, this has been just phenomenal conversation, and I'm so glad that you were willing to come on and share your story. If I have any listeners that have recently went through grief or it's happened, you know, a while ago, whatever it may be, do you have any tips or pointers for them that you could leave them with today? Number one, if you are not in therapy, get there. It's hard. It's hard work. You're, it's going to suck. You're not going to like it. You're going to cry. It's going to bring up stuff that you would much rather keep way down, but don't. Um, there is, there's sunshine on the other side, I promise you. Um, you know, it seems like the grief is overwhelming, and it is, um, but you can see the other side. You will eventually see the sunshine. You will eventually see the rainbows. And life will be absolutely beautiful for the experience that you that you encountered. Um, you know, the other things is if you are going through grief and and you can't get to a counselor or you don't want to talk or talk out your emotions with a trusted friend, or also write it out. You know, get it out of your head and. That's the best thing that I, that I can suggest. Um, and also, I mean, if anybody's out there that's listening that is suffering through grief or something like this, and you want someone that knows, contact me. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody about grief and overcoming it and dealing with it. And because the, the you know, to think of, well, I shouldn't be here, that's not an option because there's so many people in this world that love you and want you here yes. and you need to stay. Yes. Excellent advice, Tammy. And thanks for your offer that if anybody needs to talk, they can reach you. I'll be sure to um, list your contact information in the show notes. Sure. So listeners, don't forget, if you want the show notes from today's episode, be sure to head over to shiningself.com forward slash TM. Tammy, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been, it, it's been awesome. Thank you, Tish. And as always, listeners, thank you so much for being here too. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and share with others that need a message of hope, love, and transformation.